1: Hey everyone, welcome to The Survival Show podcast. I'm David, the founder of Ultimate Survival Tips and your host for today's show. In this podcast, my good friend Creek Stort and I are going to help you prepare for one of the most important but often overlooked emergency preparedness issues that you're likely to face in a disaster, which is how to deal with human waste when the grid is down and water no longer comes out of your spigot. So we're going to get into why you need a disaster bathroom plan and how poorly handled human waste can be your biggest health threat in a disaster. We'll also show you how to build a simple $20 compost toilet that doesn't stink and how to flush your toilet when water no longer comes through your pipes. Then we'll discuss how to make a portable trench latrine in your backyard that's totally private no matter how nosy your neighbors are. And then we're going to finish up this nine-part Disaster Ready Home series with a recap and some action steps to get you moving in the right direction and a lot more. But before we get into all this vital content, let's talk about food. With the worldwide fertilizer shortage fuel prices higher than ever, I've read that up to 50% of U.S. farmers are not going to plant crops this year. Inflation is already bad, but imagine what a food shortage of this magnitude might do to supplies, civility, and prices this fall. The clock is ticking, so I believe that now is the time to take charge of your long-term food security. In my opinion, there's no better way to do this than to freeze dry your own leftovers, garden produce, and any surplus foods you can get your hands on. And the easiest and most affordable way to do this is with a Harvest Right freeze dryer. Karen and I have been using our Harvest Right freeze dryer for over a year now, and it's allowed us to put away a ton of food for the future that will be as fresh in 20 years as it is today. We've already saved thousands versus what it would have cost us to buy bulk freeze-dried food buckets, and we get to freeze-dry what we like to eat, including full meals, fruit, meat, vegetables, and desserts. Best of all, Harvest Right freeze-dryers are built to last and are easy to use. In fact, we found that freeze-drying is much easier than canning and is about as easy as freezing and dehydrating food but with 10 times the shelf life. So if you are ready to get serious about your food security and build a food buffer for if things go really bad with food supplies this fall, my friends at Harvest Right want to offer you, our faithful listeners, Free USA shipping, which is a lot. A premier vacuum pump upgrade, which you really want because it reduces maintenance. And a free freeze-drying starter kit when you use my super secret special link, ultimatesurvivaltips.com forward slash freeze. Now, everybody, listen up. I know their supplies are limited, and they can't hold their current pricing for much longer. So if you've been sitting on the fence, now's the time to act and take charge of your food security and start freeze-drying your leftovers, garden surplus, as well as all your summer party and picnic leftovers. Now here's the deal. If you start now, you could have months, if not years, of freeze-dried food stored away before fall. To get started, click the link in the podcast description or go to ultimatesurvivaltips.com forward slash freeze that's UltimateSurvivalTips.com forward slash freeze. All right, let's get into the show. <music> Mr. Creek Stort back with us again. How are you doing, Creek? What's going on? Hey, I'm doing good. I'm doing really
2: good. I, uh, we're in the middle of moving. We are selling our house and moving. out out a little farther out, you know, not to be a Debbie Downer here, but you know, I'm predicting that things are going to get a little hairy in the next couple of years. Mm -hmm. And so I am actually putting my money where my mouth is and I am simplifying. I am selling at a market high and simplifying, moving my family and following my gut. So that's what I am doing, so I'm in the
1: throes of a move. Well, you've been prepping your family for a while with all this, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely so
2: uh, but we are you know we're taking it to taking it to another level. I don't see do, I'm, I'm practicing what I preach <laughs> sometimes you know when I'm on the with the phone with people or via email with people and they're complaining about their situation, where they live, you know, sometimes my reply is, well, you might have to move and
1: that's what I'm doing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, you are, or have been living in a mostly like suburban area, right? That's right. Yeah. 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 So I, um, you know, being hit and miss, I grew up on a
2: farm and then I moved uh, to a, to a suburb just outside of Indianapolis, my training facilities out in the country. So I spend a lot of time there and tons of resources there as well. And, you know, I had a, a little place for a while before I got married, that was um, a, a little more sustainable, a little more self-sustainable. Then um, we had a couple of kids and lived in a suburb. And so now we're, making a big life transition, you know, we're, um, we're really, we're really transitioning into, you know, how do I, how do I take some of what I know to the next level with, with animals and homesteading and a little bit more land. Uh, and so, um, you know, trying to live that, trying to live that ultimate survival tips life, you know?
1: Right, right. So I just want to let everybody that's listening know if Creek Stewart is making some moves, uh, maybe that's a hint. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, seriously. I mean, like, no you know, joke. isn't that the truth? <laughs> yeah. yeah. We've, we've got some podcasts coming up specifically. I've got a friend that's very, very entwined in the food industry, especially the uh, bulk long-term kind of like geopolitical aspect of it. He's going to be on and there's some, There's some pretty freaky things going out, much worse than even what we're hearing in the news and through the government and stuff. So I think you're making a good move. I'm not going anywhere. In fact, uh, I am where people bug out, too. So, um, you know, praise the Lord for that. Um, And, uh, you know, you might just want to let people know you might need to fix your situation. So if you're going to do that, now's not a bad time. (laughs) It's not a bad time to be seriously considering that. Yeah, you know, it's not the easiest decision in the world, but, you know, sometimes the,
2: sometimes very rarely in life, right? Are, you know, are the things worth having an easy decision Mm -hmm. or do they come easy? And so we're making, we're making the hard, we're making the hard, hard decisions right now. But I'm excited to be here with you, man. Excited about our topics today. And
1: yeah, yeah. So we're going to be talking about, you know, the, off-grid bathroom some hygiene stuff and then this is this is going to be I'm I'm tearful slightly tearful that this is going to be I think this is maybe podcast 8 or 9 in our series uh based off of your book the disaster awesome book the the disaster ready home I, you're killing it man i think you have like 4.9 star rating you're a bestseller on amazon so i really appreciate you taking the time to spend with us to help us all walk through i suppose what I get out of everything we've talked about in reading your book Creek is you want to simplify this for folks. You're not calling people to necessarily fix their situation, although they might want to consider that Uh, you want to, you want to make this whole preparedness thing approachable for folks. So we're going to talk about hygiene. What's the big deal with hygiene Creek?
2: Yeah, well, it can make a bad situation worse really quick. Uh, We start talking about infection and um, getting sick and, getting sicker and disease and especially if you're kind of cooped up and trapped up at home you want to make sure that um, you're taking the proper precautions and you have those supplies on hand just to keep things clean and the quick segue from that is into using the bathroom you know critical prep that hardly anyone thinks about um, until they are faced with a situation when their toilets don't flush so we're going to solve that problem for under 20 bucks.
1: Yeah. So would you agree that hygiene and how to deal with human waste is probably the most important undertaught preparedness topic?
2: For sure. For sure. One of them, you know, hygiene and dealing with human waste has been the demise of entire civilizations on the face of the earth. And so um, it's something that should be taken very, very seriously, especially if you're living in a congested area, one that is dependent on, you know, where you're in really tight spaces with other people and you're dependent on public utilities for the disposable waste and even garbage. Uh, So a lot of things to consider here, a lot of things to think about.
1: Yeah. So why do you think it's important for people to kind of have this whole grid down bathroom thing figured out before a disaster event? Uh, Because...
2: I mean, it's like any other prep, right? You know, I mean, if you don't have it figured out beforehand, then you're in the midst of everything going wrong at the same time, trying to fix it all at the same time, trying to come up with an impromptu um, satisfactory solution to many different major issues at the same time. And something's going to give, right? So the more problems you can solve in advance of those problems happening, the better situation you're, you're going to have, you know, and you're not going to be competing with potentially thousands or even tens of thousands or of other people who are having the same idea at the same time when, when everybody is experiencing that same problem. So, you know, we're just trying to predict and preempt potential issues as best as we can in advance of when they happen. Ultimately, that's our goal as preparedness-minded minded individuals, I believe, right?
1: Yes, Absolutely. I was at breakfast with a bunch of brothers and uh, last Friday, and one of them somehow we got on got on this topic, and it you know it wasn't even about like what I do or anything. It was just you know biblical orienti- oriented and kind of like situational awareness, what's going on in the world. And one of the guys there just really surprised me. He just came out and said, "You know, I've got three months worth of preparations in all categories," and I said, "Well." why three months, you know, tell me more. Cause you know, it, it's, it's great to hear what folks have going on. And he said, well, exactly what you said, essentially. Um, he said three months gives me the ability to not be reacting to what situations are going on. It gives me that margin so that I can assess the situation and decide what I need to do with myself and my family next. And I think that's what yeah. you're talking about here. It's exactly what I'm talking about,
2: you know, so that you're just not panicking at the, you know, in the midst of something that's already potentially very chaotic. You know, it gives you that, I call it, he calls it a margin. I call it a buffer, you know, a buffer of supplies uh, that can steady, steady your life a little bit when things could potentially be really, really chaotic because It's going to be a lot, you know, if you're ever faced with a disaster, anybody who's been through any kind of a disaster will report to you that it's not just one thing that feels messy. It's everything, you know, and imagine trying to straighten out many different areas of your life at the exact same time, all of a sudden providing for a huge variety of needs and not just one for multiple family members, heat, water, shelter, food, um, sanitation, hygiene, You know, self-defense, home protection, all of those things tornadoing at the exact same time. It is impossible to just summon the means and resources and energy to solve all those problems. I don't care who you are unless you have some of these preps prepared in advance because there are going to be surprises along the way.
1: Right. You basically need to start with a lot of things off your plate so you can deal with those things you didn't even know could have been problems, right? Perfect way to say it. So, like, this whole problem with human sewage, I mean, how many times do you go to the bathroom in Day Creek? Is that the most uncomfortable question you've had all week? <laughs> yeah, well,
2: I'll tell you what. I've, I've recently gone to almost a carnivore diet. So, I mean, an animal-based diet. So, less frequently than when I was a vegetarian, I can tell you that much. <laughs> <laughs> But regardless, right, it's a, you know, it's a routine situation for every single, everybody poops, right? What's the book? Everybody poops. I think I read that to my son, you know, as I was diaper training him, you know, everybody, everything poops. (laughs) It's a children's book.
1: (laughs) Everything poops. (laughs) And you know, this, this, if you don't have this fixed, especially if you're in a suburban or urban area. The pro- this particular problem will compound fast. You'll not only be dealing with your own hygiene and sanitation issues, but you'll quickly be dealing with others. So you need to really think about this. So Creek, Creek why don't you take, this in, take us into, uh, step us through some, you know, remediations that we can do, some preps we can do to help mitigate this problem.
2: Well, here's the really, I'm going to give you a couple of solutions here. And here's the really great, the good news here is that these solutions are so cheap and so easy. There's really no reason why anyone under the sound of my voice right now shouldn't take these solutions and implement them by the end of this week. You know, just... Just, just do what I say this weekend and check this off your list. All you're going to have to spend is 20, 25 bucks, and you will have a really, really solid solution for dealing with human waste in place. So um, here's my number one recommended solution. Uh, you're going to go to the hardware store and purchase a two, three, four, five, a handful of plastic five-gallon buckets. Okay? I've got a if you can hear that, I've got a really loud plane flying overhead. So I'm gonna wait two seconds while that buzzes over. If I was in a survival situation, it'd be a perfect rescue opportunity. But we're gonna to go to the hardware store and purchase about in between three and five plastic five gallon buckets. And on Amazon or on any outdoor retailer, you're gonna search five gallon bucket snap-on toilet seat lid, and that's going to be about $15, and it's a toilet seat with a lid that snaps onto the top of a five-gallon bucket, okay? So you're already seeing where I'm headed here. We're creating a toilet out of a five-gallon bucket, okay? It's something that you can store in the shed or the garage, move around. It's mobile. doesn't cost much, doesn't weigh much, doesn't take up much space, but you're not just going to use the bathroom in the five-gallon bucket, you're going to go to your local wood shop at your local school, or maybe there's a wood crafting shop nearby, or even like your local home improvement center, like Lowe's or Home Depot, that's got, a, that's got the, the saw section in their hardware uh, department. And you're going to ask them for a few bags or a few five-gallon buckets full of sawdust. And so we're going to build for just a few dollars, a composting sawdust toilet. You'll put about an inch of sawdust in the bottom of that bucket. And my son and I used the restroom on a five gallon bucket toilet for one year during the whole, once COVID started, once we, we started it on the COVID lockdown and we kept at it in the garage for almost one year. And at the end of that year, I literally looked my wife in the face and I said, I have no idea why we have flush toilets. This is the most perfect solution that makes the most sense for dealing with human waste. You put one inch of sawdust on the bottom of that toilet, on the bottom of that bucket. You use the bathroom, number one and number two, right on top. Go ahead and go ahead and throw any paper that you're using, uh, like a toilet paper, not like feminine hygiene products or anything else, just toilet paper, right on top of it. When you're done using the bathroom, you cover it with another inch of sawdust. And you're going to com- completely, you're going to do this. You're going to com- continue to do this until the, bucket's, until, you're, until the bucket's so full that you're uncomfortable <laughs> sitting on it anymore. <laughs> and once, it, once it's full, you're going to take the snap-off seat off and put on a regular lid and just slide it over in the corner of your yard, of your garden, of your shed, of your garage. And after about two or three months, the contents of that bucket turns into a humanure. Uh, Literally, it turns into a sawdust type dirt that you can safely dispose of uh, in the corner of your yard under some of your trees. I don't recommend using it like or in your vegetable garden because you still run the risk of contamination. You don't want to get sick, but somewhere in the yard or the corner in the woods, um, in a green space, you can dispose of this when the time is right. Uh, And that process right there, I mean, it's going to, it just could absolutely solve the problem for someone
1: in need of a bathroom where their toilets don't flush. That's fantastic. And so simple. Absolutely. So simple. Um, I've, I've seen some other people do it. Uh, if you did want to use it in a garden, uh, you can just leave it compost a bit longer. I would say, um, there's various different composters that you can add your, your, kitchen scraps or whatever too. And, uh, that will be very probiotic. It will, it will, uh, a lot of nitrogen in there that'll help break down your other compost until it is at a point where, uh, the heat that's built up during the composting process, uh, takes care of any, any bacteria or, or stuff that you might be concerned about in your garden.
2: Yeah. So one, one, one question someone's going to have, because I've already heard it before is creek. I'm six five and I weigh almost three hundred pounds. You're not going to find me sitting on a five gallon bucket anytime soon, you know, and it's a very valid concern because mm-hmm. they can get a little topply, you know I mean even I almost tipped it over once, and you know I'm only 5'10", 150 pounds, you know, so it's a good point if you're a good point. if you're a bigger stature person, you know a five gallon bucket could be a little tippy uh, to to sit on. And here's, you know, here's the upgrade to that is you still use the five gallon bucket, but you purchase one of those folding toilets. It's, it's essentially, it looks like a, like a walker. Like, you know, my grandma had this walker with wheels on it. It kind of looks like a walker, but it's got a toilet seat built shorter. into it. Yeah, so shorter. If, yeah. yeah. Like a stool so if you type almost. In, like a stool. And those are designed, you know, to help people who are coming out of surgery or maybe old and, you know, I mean, for a huge variety of reasons, but they can hold a lot more weight and are a lot more stable than a five-gallon bucket. And you just position that over top of the five-gallon bucket, and it works the exact same way.
1: I mean, another solution that if people really want to simplify this and spend a little bit more money than what you're talking about, I've actually, in my, in my uh, preps room, my main storage room i've got a couple of these luggable loos in there and it's basically a five five and a half gallon bucket might be a a little bit bigger maybe a six gallon bucket and uh, it has a seat sort of kind of built into it the issue there is you're going to have to have a separate lid to seal that up like you said i was just going to say i mean because some some of the i'm not familiar with the luggable loo model or anything but some
2: some toilets come with like some like off you know off-grid type toilets they come with literally just like garbage bags that you just like a doggy bag that fits on the toilet seat you use the bathroom in this bag and just tie it up and you know and then it's just
1: bagged it's not composting per se but it's sealed up right right nope so this would be used i mean i suppose you could use it either way but this is particularly um, designed for the exact purpose that you're talking about but what what you're, you're taught. There's another thing that we haven't talked about here is that they make, um, like toilet bags for like camping or like on your boat or whatever. So you do, uh, you, you basically, you know, I don't know any other way to say it. You, you poop, you do your waste into this bag yeah, and then it's a hundred percent biodegradable, but it's not going to biodegrade for a couple of days. So, you know, if you're on a trip or whatever, and you know, you want to take your waste with you or you're in a boat. They sell these a lot with like boat toilets. Um, you just store your bags and then, and discard them and they're in biodegradable bags. I don't know, like if you were ultimately going to plan to put this in your garden and you wanted to put it in your regular compost bin, if that's something that you do, uh, what these bags are made out of that they, you know, biodegrade (laughs) over like a seven day period instead of, you know, start breaking down immediately. So anyway, uh, that's that's the complicated way. What Creek's talking about here is the simple way. And I actually had right. not thought about that. Like Lowe's, somebody at Lowe's, when they trim the wood down to spec or they cut those those plywood pieces down from eight foot yep. to four foot, somebody's cutting those. And at the end of the day, they're sweeping that up. And where's that going? I'm going to Lowe's later and I'm going to ask. <laughs> yeah, it goes in actually, trash, t- yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. right. Good. This is good stuff. Greek. Really good. So what, what else do we have? Well, you know, I mean, so someone may be curious, like how much sawdust
2: do I need to get through like oh, a month yep. or two months, yep. you know? So, you know, the sawdust actually goes a long way. So um, you can typically, it, it all depends on number of people and number of BMs, you know, but, you know, we were able to get away with my son and I, we were able to get away with, you know, a, about a five gallon bucket every 15 to 20 days, we would fill one up ish. Um, and you do not use that much sawdust. Like we had, we had a, a 15, I think it was a roughly uh 10 to 15. It was like a feed sack. Uh, imagine a feed sack full of sawdust. That's what we were working out of. And that lasted multiple buckets. So it's not like you need, you know, 55 gallon drums full of sawdust. You know, I would just say for one to three months backup, you know, if you had, you know, three or four, five gallon buckets worth of sawdust and three or four empty five gallon buckets, uh, with lids, then you'd be, then you'd be set for a couple of months to deal with, you know, to, to deal with stuff. So
1: let me ask you this question. What about the smell Creek? Good question. You know, that's going to be another (laughs) great question, right? Um, I, I gotta tell
2: you, It blew my mind how well the sawdust, I don't know the physics of it, but how well the sawdust encapsulates what one would think would be a horrendous odor. It does not, it does not have an odor. You know, I mean, at least ours didn't. We filled up multiple buckets over the course of a year, obviously, right? And not once did somebody walk out into the garage and think, what in the world? smells like a sewer out here. Never, not once. Now, you know, we did get a sawdust mix that had some cedar in it, so maybe that helped. Um, But this thing hides, you know, this thing disguises odor
1: really, really efficiently. I'm shocked, actually. Yeah, when composting is actually working, and one of the reasons I think, Creek, that it seems like you're not using that much or not even accumulating that much waste with sawdust in it is because the uh composting the breaking down uh process is happening in there also mm-hmm. and when mm-hmm. composting's done right and in balance then it really doesn't give off an odor which you know people who aren't familiar with composting may not realize this because you know even if you keep your ch- your uh kitchen scraps for a couple of days, you open that up, and it's like, man, that's nasty. Well, it's because it's not mixing with enough carbon, and the carbon would be specifically in this case your uh, your sawdust.
2: Yeah, and if I ever got a hint of odor, it was from like ammonia, like from the urine. That was if I ever caught a whiff of something, it was more of that side of the equation if that makes any sense. It never smelled like um what you would think you would smell. It was always like kind of a kind of an ammonia urine smell
1: if if you ever smelled anything. Right. And that might even be because somebody was dehydrated a bit, too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So so let's say I mean, is there maybe For the people that are concerned about tipping over on a bucket or maybe even those – the stool that you're talking about that has sort of kind of like a toilet seat to it, is there any more permanent way that that if somebody has the space and a little bit of – you know, they've got a couple of nails or boards or anything, is there any way to do this in a more permanent fashion or or maybe a more stable – urban kind of yeah. fashion <laughs> yeah
2: so just just for kicks you know and and my you know I tore out the toilets in my home and my home no I'm just kidding I did not my wife I told <laughs> I was joking with my wife I was like I'm gonna get rid of these flush toilets this is ridiculous you know you're just wasting water it's like complicated they're always breaking and fixing. this like this was this is horrible and but anyway I built a uh, I took some plywood sheets and cut down and built a box um, almost like if you would imagine like an indoor outhouse like the type of toilet that you would see in an old timey outhouse imagine if you walked into an outhouse what you would see well I took and I built one of those out of plywood and I cut a hole in the top of it and I mounted a toilet seat to it and And underneath of it was all of my supplies. So I had the five gallon bucket and I had my sawdust under there. And so we eventually moved from the bucket to, um, kind of an indoor outhouse in the garage. So if you wanted a more permanent solution, if you're crafty and you're handy and you've got some tools and wood, you know, I'm sure there are men and women out there who could build, you know, the Taj Mahal of composting sawdust toilets with a little bit of time and energy.
1: that don't have your book yet, all of these things are in, I mean, beautiful photos. I'm looking right now on page 200 of your book where you show that exact design and and how simple it is. So well done.
2: Yeah. So, um, you know, one other solution worth mentioning when it comes to um, off-grid toilets is one that I've used for years. uh, And when I, when I do courses, you know, that, that are at places that don't have facilities. So You know, I learned a long time ago when you get, you know, if you have a large event and there's 60, 70 people there and, you know, everybody's going in the woods that, you know, pretty soon it's like a land, you know, it's like landmines out there, you know, it's like, I don't even want to go into the woods, you know, I don't know. It's like 30 people walking in the woods using the bathroom and who knows how deep people are burying or if they're burying, you know, and so, um, and so there's a concept that, you know, is, is really probably from military uh, called a trench latrine. And it's essentially where if you have a backyard or a green space, that's fairly private. uh, You dig a trench that is six to eight inches deep by however long you can dig it. You pile up all the dirt on one side of the trench and you're essentially using the bathroom in the trench um, one section at a time. So you use the bathroom at the very end of the trench and then you cover that section up and you work your way down the trench until it's full. Okay. Whether it's you or multiple family members filling in the trench. And every time you, you go to the bathroom in the trench, you cover it up. So you know that exactly where the last person left off. And then you would just start another trench right next to it. So, you know, right now in in my little tiny yard where I'm at, I'm in a transition house from my other one to my homestead. So my little yard right now is probably, it's so tiny. I mean, it's like the half of a tennis court, okay? But I'm looking in this yard, and I could put 20 or 30 trench latrines
1: in this yard over the course of several months if I had to. So what would you do? Just squat over this, or do you have, Yep. or do we bring our uh, potty stool out there? You could.
2: You could totally do a potty stool over it. You could do, in in the book, I show uh, like a pop-up shower tent for privacy, So you could literally stake down like a pop-up shower tent on this trench and kind of move it down the trench as you use the bathroom. And you're completely in privacy using the bathroom. If you've got neighbors like I do now that are, you know, staring out the window, looking at you, you know, and so, so there's ways to make that private and then you don't have to worry about, you know, storing the waste necessarily inside or in a shed or in a garage. You know, I always say though, you want... You know, especially if you're in a well um, or your water source is nearby, you want to try to keep any kind of a trench latrine or outdoor latrine at least 100 yards away from your water source, if, if at all humanly
1: possible. Those are great ideas. That's a that's a important consideration, isn't it? Huge, huge. Yeah. And the solution is so simple.
2: There's no excuse. There's no excuse besides laziness not to
1: implement it and have it in place yeah i mean i could see people even in urban situations at least i mean if there was one person in an apartment and they had one bucket of sawdust and one bucket that is uh to do their business in i mean what that would get them a week two weeks maybe right yep yep easy easy for sure you know, I mean, and
2: and some, you know, these issues with, you know, something happening to the sewage system or something happening to a water supply so you can't flush your toilets, or for example, I, I lived in a house on the river um, many years ago, and when the river would flood, the water table would come up so high that. I couldn't flush my toilet, the water table. It would be above the level of my septic tank. Okay. And so I would go for sometimes five or six days without being able to flush my toilet. And this solution would have been perfect for me back then, you know? Um, and you know, so I had like a little makeshift bathroom behind a shed in my backyard you know, for those situations, you know, but there are so many different scenarios that can interrupt or disrupt
1: the regular flow of sewage. So you had mentioned flushing your toilets. So there is a, there is a simple solution also. Like, I mean, this is, I don't want to say this is regressive, but, um, do you want to just step people through? Like if, if they couldn't or didn't want to do these preps, how do they flush their toilets, and how can they prepare for maybe a, a one-week event, let's just say, and still be able to flush their toilets? Well, you you take that one because I'm not sure where you're heading with that one. Okay, okay, <laughs> I went off the book. Um, so if you want to flush your toilets, uh, here's what we do here. But all these preps that the creek is saying, I mean. If, if you don't know Creek and I by now, we've got multiple levels for each each one of these uh, areas that we've talked about in the series. But my wife is a, I, I told her yesterday when she was uh, considering an advance something, uh, we just, we're just restocking on our meat bird uh, production here and uh, laying hens. And so she was being very practical. And I said, you know, the, the tagline, be prepared because you never know, applies more to you than me. <laughs> and what she likes to do is whenever we know that an event possibly could happen, Creek, you may not believe this, but we had a foot of snow three days ago. And Ooh, so trees crazy. were down, lines were down. Uh, people in the area were without power for, you know, a day or at least a couple of hours. And so... What she likes to do is, if she knows a thunderstorm's coming, a bad storm, a snowstorm, uh, you know, there's, if you live in a town or a city, the utility people that work there are going on strike or whatever it is. Uh, You can go ahead and fill some of these uh, two, even just a regular bucket, two to five gallon buckets, put them in your shower area or your bathtub just to have that water um, for drinking water. and. Essentially, just to flush your toilet, all you need is you need that enough of the tank filled that's on your on a standard toilet, so that when you push the handle down, whichever type of handle push you have, that the water flows enough to take to open up the little trap in your toilet and take it down the sewage pipe. So uh, that's that's one that's like a simple simple thing you if you're not prepared uh, to to do everything the creek. Has talked about to us today. That's something at least for a day or two, or you know, a couple. Of, just know that if you're depending on that water for a long term or mid term or short term water supply, you're going to be using a couple of gallons every time you flush your toilet. Yeah, I was,
2: gonna say, I was going to say if it's longer through. than. Yeah, no, that's well, I you know, that's a great, great point. So, but I was going to say, you know, if it's more than one or two days, you'd better make sure that you've got your water your renewable water
1: source and check. Right. Yes, absolutely. Well, this is all good creek. So, anything else on this on hygiene in general on off-grid bathroom and yeah, and we'll go from
2: there. You know, one one thing on hygiene I would like to gloss, you know, gloss over a little bit revisit is a section um, back that we probably talked about in the water preps, uh, podcast, but I think in this particular podcast, it's worth mentioning because it's directly related to cleanliness and hygiene. And that is the use of HTH, uh, which is granular hypochlorite and it's a chlorine. Okay. So most, um, HTH, um, calcium hypochlorite, is or it's HTH stands for high test hypochlorite. Um, it comes in dry white granules and it typically contains a chlorine concentration of around 70%. Okay, so I learned a long time ago that bleach, which was where I'm headed here as far as using it for disinfecting surfaces and you know cleaning things. Uh, Bleach has a shelf life of roughly one year. So the longer bleach sits on the shelf, the less effective um, it is as far as um, its cleaning power. And so in 2005, what's interesting about HTH is the United States Army put out a bulletin called uh, the Sanitary Control of Surveillance of Field Water Supplies. And in that bulletin, they essentially gave the recipe for making a 5% bleach solution from granular HTH, which is very interesting because HTH has a shelf life of many, many, many years. In fact, I don't, I guess it would eventually go bad if exposed to sunlight or heat, but it's way, way, way longer than bleach, okay? So if you mix one gallon of water with one half cup of dry granular HTH, It makes a 5% bleach solution, which is essentially the same bleach solution that you buy on the grocery store shelf. So, most grocery store bleach solutions are in between 5% and 8% active um, chlorine. Okay. And so, to be able to on demand make a gallon of fresh bleach, 5% bleach solution becomes really interesting when you start thinking about being cooped up at home keeping surfaces clean, sanitizing things, you know, disease, human waste, having a fresh bleach solution in order to do that and being able to make that up or give that out to friends and family, that could be really interesting. And, you know, kind of puts an exclamation point on the idea of
1: your consideration of granular HTH on your prepper shelf. Creek, I wasn't even aware of that. I must've missed that in the book. So that's, that's a really, really good tip. And I would, I would guess that that, I mean, just the storage size of that would be smaller. And I like the idea that totally it's much longer lasting than, than bleach that's in a bottle. So it's often sold as like pull shock. Okay.
2: You want to make sure that it's just straight HTH though. You know, you don't want anything like anything weird else in it. Um, They'll, you'll oftentimes find it in kits that's called like a well shock. So, HTH is commonly used to shock and treat wells, okay? So, if you do like an HTH well shock search, um, you, you should be able to find it. Um, but they're, they're typically, um, a HTH is, your typical HTH is around
1: 70%. Okay. Of,
2: contains Good. a chlorine concentration of around 70%.
1: Good. So, like everything else that we've talked about in this podcast and all of them, I'll make sure that they go in the show notes. The show notes, you can get those over at Ultimate Survival Tips. Click on the podcast link at the top of the page. And there's a little tab there that says show notes. So, you can grab all of links to all this stuff over there. I'm going to be getting some of that creek. And if people don't know what well shocking is, if you live in a rural area like I do and you uh, use, utilize a well, uh, every, I'm, I probably should be done every year, but every couple of years, uh, we shock our well. And all that means is that, I mean, what we've done Creek in the past is uh, just dumped a gallon of, of uh, bleach down there. And then you run it through your system until, you know, you don't uh, perceive that ammonia smell anymore, or that chlorine smell anymore. And uh, so that's what well shocking is. I like I like this idea of of uh potentially using this, though I think it it may run through the well a little bit quicker than a whole gallon of bleach. So Creek, this is it for the book, my friend. So as we uh why don't we just take a couple of minutes and uh do some just maybe a little recap. Leave people with uh, one if they have not listened to the other editions of of the series that they go back and listen, grab the show notes and uh, maybe leave. Why don't you leave us with some things that we ought to be considering uh, through this whole series, just kind of like a recap.
2: Yeah. So let's, let's, let's start with food. Okay. So how about, how about like one to three short and sweet takeaways from some of the top categories that we should be thinking about? So Everybody first thinks about food. Uh, My first step with um, a long-term food storage plan would be to implement a system of rotation. And all I mean by that is you pick the top 10 items that you eat the most often that are shelf stable, so that have a shelf life of one to three years that you buy at the grocery store. Typically, these are dried boxed goods or canned goods, um, things like pasta or anything in a can, um, anything dry, beans, rice you take the 10 most popular items that you eat and you put them on a list. And each time you go to the grocery store, you try to buy a couple extras of one or more of those 10 items. And you just sit those on a shelf, an extra shelf, an extra pantry, a closet, um, a a rack in your basement. And over the course of a few weeks, a few months, you're going to start to build a shelf stable supply of the most popular food items that you eat on a regular basis, store what you eat and eat what you store. And as you run out of those items in your kitchen pantry, you just pull from your long-term food storage pantry. And it's the most practical, economical, reasonable, sane way to build a long-term food storage pantry that can get you by a few weeks, a few months pretty quickly. Uh, If you don't like the idea of incorporating rotation into your lifestyle and you just want something, set it and forget it, uh, then you need to start thinking about either freeze dried buckets of food or repackaging your own bulk dry goods at home like beans and rice. Um, If you, if you hop over to my website and subscribe to my email list, I'm happy to give you um, some video tutorials on exactly how to repurpose bulk dry goods at home so that they'll last for 20 plus years. It's really easy. It's really cheap. It's the most economical long term food storage you can get. And beans and rice together with a few other items is almost a complete food source. Um, very, very nutritious um, as long as you don't have any dietary restrictions related to those items. So that should cover you on food. Uh, anything you want to add there, David, or you just want me to keep on going? No, I think that's fantastic. How about water? Water, uh, we want to think about three things, okay? And everyone should implement these three things, period, no matter where you're at, because they're all they're all pretty basic. So number one is you need to have some fresh water storage on hand. Um, the average American uses over 80 gallons of water a day. That's insane. Um, I recommend having a minimum of two gallons per person on hand for a couple of weeks, okay? Anything beyond that and... You know, water's heavy and water's bulky, so you start to get into some, you know, like some big commitments with water. We want fresh water storage on hand to get you through a period, a short period of time at least, if water isn't available. Uh, Number two on that list, that's really easy. You can put that, I recommend putting it in the bottom of closets um, with a piece of plywood on top as a false floor. It's a really easy way to store extra water. But number two thing that you need to implement is I would get um, a really reliable water filter so that you could filter any water and have confidence that it's safe to drink. The one I recommend is a Big Berkey. Um, The Berkey black filters are going to filter out everything that's actually considered a water purifier. So it'll filter out viruses, protozoan cysts, and bacteria as long as a whole host of other things like metals and, chlor- and chlorine and plastics and all kinds of crazy stuff. It's a laundry list of stuff. It's going to cost you a couple hundred bucks, but two of those filters in the Big Berkey is going to last 6,000 gallons and give you an insane amount of peace of mind. The number three thing to think about with water is you want to begin to establish a renewable source of water, whether it's a creek or a pond. The most practical solution for most people with a home is going to be a rain barrel attached to one of their downspouts. I recommend a fifty five gallon drum using the earth minded rain barrel kit that's a, that's available on Amazon for forty dollars. Um, it's a durable and turnkey
1: solution to implementing a rain barrel. Those are the three things you need to think about with water. Just one thing I want to mention to people and you know maybe you want to uh, talk about this at the end or incorporate this is. You mentioned that the average household goes through 80 gallons of water per person a day, but you've taken us down to two gallons per person per day in an emergency situation. So maybe, maybe if you want to be really prepared for a day, and even even if you like to camp, just this is what you're going to do when you camp anyway, but uh, take yourself down to two gallons for a day and just see what that gets you basically what it's going to get you is about a gallon for drinking or utilizing in food and you know if you like tea or coffee or whatever and that leaves you with a gallon which is not that much for hygiene
2: yeah spit bath you know i mean obviously you know flushing the toilet takes a lot of water you know that's that's almost out of the equation immediately yep um You know, pets need water, you know, I mean, cleaning, washing clothes, you know, there's all kinds of things that people don't think of washing, you know, just, just washing your hands, you know, I mean, washing dishes, utensils. I mean, every time you turn around when you're, when you're thinking
1: about it, you're like literally using water. Yes. Really good. How about heating and uh, maybe just start with heating and then we'll talk a little bit about electric.
2: Yeah, so heating. I'm a huge fan. For someone who has no backup heat whatsoever, I'm a huge fan of you know a $200 solution that can get you through a few days at least. Uh, and that's a kerosene space heater. My grandparents heated their home on kerosene space heaters. Kerosene um, space heaters are about 150 bucks. They look like a little jet engine that you can buy um, that you can buy at your local hardware store. Uh, they they're vertical. They've got a cage around them. They're 150 bucks and kerosene is uh, readily available and it has a, it's very, very stable. Unlike gasoline, uh, which is not only really volatile from, um, an ignition perspective, uh, but it doesn't last that long. You know, it has a, if, unless you put stable in it, it's, you know, it's not a good for more than a year, but kerosene will last for years and years and years. Uh, You could stock up on some kerosene. And if you had the kerosene space heater, as long as you follow the instructions, it's it's safe for indoor use. Um, And you could heat a room, keep your pipes from freezing for a short period of time, as long as you had some kerosene. Um, If you have a propane tank or natural gas already, a ventless wall-mounted propane or natural gas heater is a really economical solution. few hundred bucks installed. And all of a sudden you 've got a gas tied heat and not an electric tide heat. Gas is much more l- less likely to be knocked off grid than electricity it's a great backup. The ultimate, of course is you know wood heat. I love wood heat, but you know it could it could require a remodel, and of course, you have to have a supply of wood to burn so it's a little bit more of a commitment right You know you have to start making some of those bigger decisions. So if you're not ready to make big decisions, one of those previous heating options is going to be a really easy to
1: implement solution. Excellent. How about electric? Just one or two things really simple that people can do.
2: Yeah, so my philosophy with electric is, you know, you could go either way. You could try to become completely independent with electricity where you have your own supply of electricity, or you could arrange your household to the best of your abilities so that you're fine without electricity altogether. And that's actually the way I've gone with my preps rather than go down the rabbit hole of providing my own electricity, which is really complicated for me at least, and very expensive involves some routine maintenance that I'm already not interested in. So I've just, I've, I've gone down the route of, I just want to be able to unplug like my grandparents and have everything on hand and situated so that I can go without electricity for an undetermined period of time. You know, I may not have phones. I may not have iPads. I may not have, you know, games and TV. Oh, well, as long as I've got shelter, heat, water, and food, and I got a way to cook that food and heat that water, then I can get by a very, very long time. But if you want some electricity some gas powered or um, some gasoline powered or even natural gas or propane powered um, generators are a great idea. If you've recently won the lottery and you know you've got, you got 10,000 bucks to spend, then one of those kind of uh, whole house gas or whole house generators that kicks on when your electricity goes off, that is a, a really cool piece of equipment. Uh, But again, we start getting into those those areas of big decisions, which um, I learned a long time ago that the more something costs and the harder it is to implement, the least likely people are to actually do it.
1: Yeah. It's that cost, uh, cost and convenience equation. Uh, Cost starts to go up when you desire to have more convenience in general. Right. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Simple thing, maybe. Uh, probably the simplest thing, and this is maybe a fifty dollar solution, is a uh, maybe a hundred dollars. Is a uh, you've mentioned this before, even like with bugging out in an emergency, but we're staying in in this particular case. But if you if you get a, a battery brick, and you know some of these can power your your phone, and if you not are not using your phone, uh, oftentimes in a disaster, emergency services are going to try and keep some sort of cell service or uh, keep those, keep the towers working because they need them too. So uh, one thing that you've mentioned before that is that, you know, have a, have a full, one of those battery, portable battery bricks and maybe consider a small, like five watt uh, USB plug in uh solar panel for that. And that yep. gives you a little bit of security knowing that if the cell towers are up maybe you can get a text through to loved ones or you might even be able to make a call. So, so good, that man. you're right. Yeah. Good good anything else on electricity? We we pretty much know where your's you're going from a a suburban environment to a much more uh self-sufficient uh situation. So um that's that's awesome. I think I think that's a good thing for her. Uh, many of us to, to consider if we have the means or the ability to do so. What else conclusions here? If I were to end this, this
2: series with anything, it would be, um, with five words done is better than perfect. Is that five words? Done is better than perfect. Five words. You know, many people, it's human nature to not pull the trigger on something until you feel like you've got it all figured out. And at the end of the day, You can sit around and calculate and debate and budget and really drive yourself crazy if you're trying to figure out the perfect solution to a very imperfect problem. And I got to tell you, you're never going to have a perfect solution. I don't care how rich you are. I don't care... you know, how lucky you are. I don't care how skilled you are, what you do for a living. It's never going to be perfect. And the reason is, is because disasters are really, really chaotic, right? Like they create imperfect scenarios. So we're dealing with trying to create something perfect for something that's not perfect. It's impossible. It's actually, it's actually impossible to do. And so the reality of the matter is that the more of these little things that you can check off your list, whether they're, you know, whether they're done well or done or, or just done. Okay. Can make a huge difference and really move the needle for you and your family. If something ever happens, whether it's perfect or not. So I would say, you know, stop looking at the whole picture and just stop looking at individual little things. The best way to eat an elephant is one bite at a time. And that's exactly the way you need to start looking at your preps It's just take one little thing at a time. You know, how much extra money can I throw out my preps this month? Can I spend 200 bucks? Well, let's get a Berkey. Can I only spend 20 bucks? Well, let's knock out our portable toilet. You know, maybe I've got 30 bucks this month that I can throw at some extra food. And over the course of a few months,
1: you will have really made a lot of headway in some things that actually matter Creek. That is, that is an excellent way to wrap up this series. Excellent. So if I ever write a book, can I just quote you? (laughs) (laughs) You Sure. (laughs) Creek, I appreciate your time. I appreciate your care. And in bringing this information to us over so many different podcasts for really uh, expounding on your book, I highly recommend, highly recommend that everybody pick this book up. If you feel like you've got this whole thing nailed, Pick this book up, The Disaster Ready Home, for your legacy, for, you know, if something happens to you and your family doesn't know what to do, for your kids or your grandkids, and uh, you will not regret it. Go check it out on Amazon. Check out the reviews. uh, Very highly reviewed and an Amazon bestseller. Creek, I'm honored. I'm blessed that you spent all this time and these weeks stepping us through how to simply prepare for a disaster. How can people get some cool free stuff from you, get on your list, learn more about you Creek?
2: Well, first of all, the pleasure is all mine and my heartfelt thanks to anyone who's listening and who has listened to uh, the previous podcasts. You know, I mean, my, my passion in life is truly with other people. And so I hope that you know, anything I've said or shared, you know, actually one day makes a difference, right? You know, that's what we all hope. I think ultimately, you know, at the end of our day, we want to matter, you know, for something, you know, not only matter to God, but we want to matter to each other and we want to do things that make an impact. And so that's my goal here. And, you know, I just, you know, I hope that by sharing this stuff, it it matters. And so if, um, If you have any interest in following what I do or um, or what I've got going on, it's creekstewart.com. I'm going to try to get you on my email list as soon as you get there. Just get on it and I will get you uh, some awesome survival tips and I'll try to sell you stuff, too. Don't worry. Uh, But that's how I make my living. But I will provide tons of value along the way.
1: And I promise that I'm on the list. I look forward to your emails. They're not too frequent once every week or two. And I always learn something. And, you know, I love the I love the series I love that. uh, What is that drill thing?
2: Yeah, we did a pump drill workshop. So I've been really into workshops lately. You know, I went through a phase where I was really into online courses. And now I'm in a phase where I'm really into live workshops. And so that's one thing you can expect more of from Creek Stewart is live workshops. You know, I love spending my Saturday mornings with people who want to get something done. Uh, and, and learn something at the same time. So I've been doing a series of live workshops where we do everything from repackaging food to me teaching how to teach a survival course to, um, learning how to start a fire with the pump drill. So I, um, it's been a real, a lot more intimate way for me to work with people all around the world who are lovers of knowledge. So that's, that's my newest thing.
1: Nice. Well, Creek, thank you so much. Uh, and this won't be this will will not be the end uh we're talking about maybe bringing you over on the ultimate survival tips YouTube side. I hope you're still interested in that i'll be be in touch on that and we'll get you back on some other topics uh geopolitical stuff and uh I think we want to talk about bug out maybe in May or June. How's that sound?
2: Oh man, now you're speaking my language <laughs> all right, brother appreciate
1: you likewise, man. you too remember. It's not if, but when. Okay, everyone, before we head out of here, don't wait any longer. Grab your home freeze dryer by clicking the link in the podcast description or going to ultimatesurvivaltips.com forward slash freeze. Next, I just want to ask you guys to pay it forward by sharing our family-friendly and hopefully helpful and encouraging content with a couple of your friends and loved ones who you would like to help become better prepared for the days ahead. Next, go over to our mothership, UltimateSurvivalTips.com, and check it out. There's lots of free content, videos, unique gear like our tiny survival and first aid guides, our design-your-own survival kit app, plus you can score our weekly survival e-mag for free. Did I say we have a lot of free stuff available over there? And while you're there, don't forget to click on the podcast tab to get the show notes PDF with links to all the things we discussed today. Then if you haven't done so already, please, please, please go give us a five-star rating and honest review wherever you listen to this podcast. It's another way that you can encourage others, help us rise in the rankings so other people can learn the mindset, skills, tactics, and gear they need to survive what's ahead. And thank you for doing so. All right, everybody, that's it. Share the podcast. Go visit UltimateSurvivalTips.com and give us a sweet five-star review. Thanks for joining us today. I'm David. I'll see you next time on the Survival Show podcast. Until then, remember to keep it simple, be positive, and stay sharp.